The following is a message from Reverend Ken Belden of Wellsprings Congregation. At the start of Pixar's Finding Nemo, a scene I imagine probably a bunch of you know about, there are two expectant clownfish parents and 50 eggs and a hungry barracuda. And pretty soon, there's just one parent and one egg birthed into Nemo. Folks, if Finding Nemo was an actual live movie, it would be some Tarantino kind of stuff. (laughs) Think about that. Think about how horrendous, how horrible, how painful. And because this was like the first Pixar movie that really showed me the different level they were playing at, that they could start a kid's movie with a trauma of this magnitude, shows they were pointing at something real and deep and challenging. Whenever I see that movie, it makes me think of these lines, lines that are familiar to some of you. Life is difficult. This is a great truth, one of the greatest truths. It is a great truth because only once we see this truth, we transcend it. Once we truly know that life is difficult, once we truly understand and accept that life is difficult, then life is no longer difficult. Because once it is accepted, the fact that life is difficult no longer matters. So some of you know those are the opening words to, I think, what is still the top-selling self-help book of all time, M. Scott Peck's The Road Less Travel. I think of that connected to finding Nemo because it begins in such great and horrendous difficulty. Now, uh, it's Marlon, right? That's Nemo's father. I always remember Nemo. I can never quite remember Marlon. Marlon's response uh, to this trauma that begins is not to accept that life is difficult. It is to become the ultimate worrying helicopter parent. Hovering maintaining, guarding every move that Nemo makes. I mean, who could blame him, really? What's the one thing about the ocean, he asks. And with this look, Marlin asks him, and Nemo answers back, what's the one thing about the ocean? It's not safe. (laughs) Life is not safe. Things can fall apart. So as we begin today this new message series, Stories with Soul, uh, about spiritual wisdom contained in kids' literature, it's about another character who worries a lot. There's a book I didn't know until a couple weeks ago called Wimberly Worried. And instead of focusing on a worried and anxious helicopter parent, it's about a child, a kid who worries about everything. She wakes up in the morning and she's worried what's going to happen today. She worries because there's a crack in the foundation of their house and she's afraid that water is going to get through into the house and they're all going to be flooded. She's worried at night when she goes to sleep. She's worried at her birthday party, little Wemberly, is that no one is coming. And then when all kinds of people arrive, she doesn't feel happy. She worries that there's not going to be enough cake. <laughs> so, you know what the origin of the word worry means? It means to strangle something. That kind of takes it out of here and puts it right into here, doesn't it? So think about that. 
Worry is like strangling things. Our emotions, ourselves, the people we love. I think of almost like a, a fist that's curled too tightly trying to hold on to life, to something, and we end up crushing what is ours. Some of you are nodding and smiling with a little bit of recognition about the place of worry in your life. Join the club. So, Wemberly's parents, who are loving and kind and not at all skillful, they think that everything that goes right, they can convince Wemberly, oh, look, this turned out. You don't need to worry anymore. Why do you worry so much? Don't worry. It doesn't help. And so, folks, let me, let me take a break from your regularly scheduled message right here uh, to say that, that maybe there are some out here today who are not worriers. Maybe you're not a worrier. Let's talk because I'd like to inhabit your skin maybe for a day. But chances are, chances are, right, that you know or love or are close to a worrier. Now, their worries are not your problem. Your job is not to fix a worrier. Maybe you know this already. But please, never, ever, under any circumstances, say, don't worry. <laughs> See, life has gone okay. You don't need to worry. I think of this as one of my favorites. Never in the history of calming down has anyone ever calmed down by being told to calm down. It doesn't work it actually makes the worrier i know because people have told me this over the years it actually makes the worrier feel more isolated and alone which does not help with worrying so don't say don't worry don't say calm down it is counterproductive warrior shows up so often as questions that begin with two words what if what if that's what happens in the book. That's how Wemberly starts her worries. What if the crack lets in the rain? What if there isn't enough cake for all the people at the birthday party? What's going to happen? There's this particular scene in the book where Wemberly goes to her first day of school. Something that perhaps a lot of us remember had a little bit of maybe excitement, but also Anxiety, first day of a new job, first date, first whatever it is. A lot of anxiety there. Sometimes happy stuff, expectation too. And for Wimberly, this is an opportunity to worry. What if I don't make any friends? What if I cry? What if, and this is the way a lot of kindergartens or first graders think, and the truth is sometimes I think this way, what if the snack isn't any good? <laughs> What if, what if, what if? And one of the things I like in this deceptively simple book is that you see how Wimberly holds herself, this little mouse figure with a little rabbit stuffed animal. We can see that worry isn't just in her mind and with her thoughts. It's in her body, with her wide eyes, with that fear. 
worry is for pretty much everyone I know, myself included, not just in the mind, not just in the thoughts. It's held in the body. It feels like a certain kind of energy, a difficult energy. And part of healing worry, my experience tells me, and also from what I've studied and read, is that worry wants to drive us out of the body, but learning to come home to the body when we're worried matters a great deal. So some of you know, if you have been around for a while, because I'm open about this, that for most of my life that I have been conscious of myself living my life, I have had an anxiety and panic disorder. It's actually pretty good right now in my life. Hasn't really been awful or acute or brought me to my knees in a repeated sequence since I've been in my 20s. But the truth is, is that it's still a part of who I am. Sometimes you may catch me in the back before I come up here to preach doing a little bit of yoga. That's because I want to come back into the body. Because I have preached, I counted it up this past week, between 400 and 500 times just here at Wellsprings alone. And then I was ordained for, you know, years before that as well, too. I'm coming up at the 19th anniversary of my ordination. I'm approaching a thousand times preaching. And I'm wondering, when will anxiety go away? (laughs) It's not always here in the same dose. But it's here. It shows up. So this is a part of who I am. One of the ways that I work with anxiety that keeps me healthy in mind and body and heart is, is exercise. And the truth is, though, I can't stand the gym. I never liked going to the gym. So I do a lot of yoga. And recently I've added in uh, what's called interval training. I get to do it at home. It's 15 to 20 minutes, high intensity reps, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, 40 seconds, a minute sometimes, little breaks in between. I like it. I can get my exercise done. I can move on with my day. So about, what was it, two weeks ago, we had one of those bizarrely hot days in April. And I was up on our third floor, which tends to get kind of hot anyway. And I was doing a particularly intensive interval training. And it was done. I can feel my heart going pretty fast. And I was laying back down, and I was relaxing. And all of a sudden, this has happened to me more times than I know, the adrenaline burst got flipped on. A surge of energy, unpleasant. Remember Men in Black? Remember the little guy inside the guy in Men in Black? Like, there's one of these that lives in me somewhere that flips the adrenaline switch. (laughs) Except he's not happy. Um, Like this pleasant, although dying fellow seems to be. (laughs) That adrenaline switch got flipped. And the way that that kind of, if you would imagine it, traveling up from my gut into my brain. And the thought was, or the thought tried to be, I'm going to die. Like the Fred Sanford thing, except not funny. (laughs) This is the big one. Now, that's just a thought. I think thoughts are totally overrated. (laughs) Some are good, some are bad. They're just thoughts. 
And I could see that in the midst of this adrenaline and this anxiety that I could feel in my body that said, I got to get out of here. I got to flee. I got to solve this somehow. I got to fix this. I could see that that was the hook. The thought. I'm going to die. And at that moment, there was a choice. Because in addition, as many of you know, beyond the anxiety, the worry, the panic, I practiced mindfulness. And that was a moment in which I could choose to turn toward my experience. I recently got done with a 90-day, 90-sit online practice. When I talk about sit, I'm talking about sitting meditation every day through the New York Zen Center for Contemplative Care. And we were reading together something online called the Platform Sutra, which is from the 6th century in China. That is one of the central teachings of the Zen Buddhism tradition. And in it, there are vows. And one of these vows goes like this. Delusions are limitless. (laughs) Delusions are limitless. I vow to extinguish them all. This was a moment in which I saw the delusion I know it's a delusion because I've been in that place with that adrenaline surge and that anxiety and that fear and that thought of I'm going to die so many times. Folks, I want to show you my medical records, my medical bills. Trust me, I've been checked out fully. (laughs) And so, although it was deeply uncomfortable and fearful, I chose to stay with it in that moment. I saw that my mind could bite down on the hook of the deluded thought, and I didn't. And I return to my body and I just notice this tightness in here and paid attention. And it seemed to move. The tightness moved into my upper chest and then radiated down into my arms. And I followed it with an awareness that wasn't calm, but was kind and curious all the way out until the best way I can describe it. That it just kind of exited out of my hands. Almost kind of like at the end, you know, of some ghost stories where it turns out the thing that was haunting the people in the house just really wanted their kindness and intention because their lives weren't very easy and they just wanted some compassion. That's kind of how it disappeared. When we worry, we can see the delusion for what it is and recognize that sometimes what worry wants us to do is to treat ourselves unkindly and that what many of us need when we are feeling worried, when we are feeling anxious, is to move from that place of what if, those delusions, to turn with curiosity and kindness to what is. And I absolutely agree with what the Platform Sutra said. Delusions are limitless. They will come up again. (laughs) Mine will come up again. Yours will come up again. What if they come up again? Oh, my God. We don't extinguish the delusions once and for all. We can turn to face them what is right here and right now. And in that way, work with our worry. One of the questions that Jesus posed that I absolutely love, he said, who by worrying has ever added a single span of hours to the years of their life? (laughs) He put his thumb on the scale with that one because everything we know about worry and chronic worry is that it takes time away from us. The paradox of worry and anxiety is that it's mental activity without spiritual or moral movement. 
worry is is racing nowhere. It does not charge us full. It drains us down. And this is the weird thing about worry and anxiety, and I know it from within my own bones, is that by worrying, we in vain seek to escape the present to be present in a future that doesn't exist. (laughs) That is nowhere. And so to turn to what is, is healing. It helps bring us back home. It's not easy work, but I can say after decades of working unskillfully with my anxiety that it is a hell of a lot better to learn to be here. So what releases us from this trap? I want to go back to Wemberley for a second. So it's the first day of school, as I was describing, and she is because she's Wemberley and she worries. She is worried. And fortunately, she meets a really skillful teacher who, when all the other kids are playing and Wemberly is off in a corner holding her little rabbit doll, peanut or pebble, or I forget what she calls it, the teacher doesn't tell her not to worry. The teacher introduces her to another kid who is standing also off by the side holding her little, also rabbit doll, Niblet. (laughs) And Wemberly introduces Pebble to Niblet, and Niblet gets to meet Pebble. And the two dolls and the two girls start playing together. The story tells us that sometimes during that day, that first day of school, Wemberly worried because that's what she does. Sometimes just as much as she normally worries and sometimes less. And she had fun. And she made a friend. You see why that teacher is so skillful. She didn't tell her to calm down. She didn't tell her not to be worried, not to be anxious. She showed her how she wasn't alone. And that through not being alone, she could actually explore her life, what is, and find out that it's not all terrible. So the second part of that Jesus teaching that I really love, Jesus goes on to say, Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. Consider the birds of the air, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Now, uh, my experience of divinity is not that. It is not that there's a heavenly Father up there separate from us. That's not my experience of God. And still, what this teaching is pointing to is an absolute psychological truth. When we are worried, when we are beset by anxieties, when we are asking what if, what if, what if, what if, what we cannot see is that as much as things fall apart, they also come together. Just think for a moment all the things that had to go right for you to arrive here today. Whether you're happy or you're sad or life is difficult or life is easy, think about all the things that had to go right here today. Your alarm clock had to go off and your car had to work and you had to get driven here. You had to be able to drive yourself. And and beyond that, think your parents had to meet and their parents had to meet and their parents had to meet. Think about all the sequence of things that had to go right for you to be here today. All this leads to what 
is. The poison of worry wants to tell us that unless we with our worry strangle and control our lives, that nothing can go right. That's why worry is a poison. And it creates all the other poisons of fear and hatred and oppression and scarcity that creates more scarcity, that creates more enemies. So when we turn from what if to what is, we notice that yes, things fall apart and we should pay attention when we are hurt and other people are hurt by things falling apart. And also, there is so much that is happening that has happened okay. And maybe that helps us to shift just a little bit, incrementally or in a large way. That rather than worrying about all the things we have to lose, we may instead focus on all the things that we have to give. And that we're not broken after all. This is what Wemberly walks away with at the end of the first school day when the teacher says to her, hope you had a good day. Hope you come back tomorrow. And Wemberly says, don't worry. (laughs) I'm not going to tell you not to worry today if you're worried. But instead, I'm going to ask you, turn toward your life. See it for all of its complexity and beauty and challenge. And maybe recognize that you are not broken. None of us are. Amen. May you live in blessing. You pray with me. Divine who is in the storms just as certainly as it is in the calm. May we do less telling to each other. And to ourselves. And may we do more listening with each other and with ourselves. And may we recognize that the antidote to anxiety is not enforcing calm, making things peaceful. Sequestering our worry just makes it worse. But rather that peacemaking with our worry, with our anxiety, means turning once again, as many times as we need to, with curiosity, with compassion, back to what is and seeing the full spectrum picture of what our lives actually are. Not being lost in thought, but returning once again here and now, practicing that radical acceptance that brings us home, that creates a home, that welcomes everything here with hospitality. May we experience this grace between us, within us, amongst us today, and cultivate this grace. Amen. If you enjoyed this message and would like to support the mission of Wellsprings, go to our website, wellspringsuu.org. That's wellsprings, the letters uu.org.